Reopening your restaurant comes with great responsibility. Are you doing everything you can to keep your staff and guests safe? With Trust20 certification, you and your guests can feel confident you're doing everything you can to keep everyone safe. Trust20 is home to the new standard of restaurant safety and consumer comfort. By becoming a Trust20 certified restaurant, diners will know the practices you follow to create a safe and healthy environment. Have confidence you're going above and beyond minimal requirements. Have comfort knowing your practices have been independently verified. To learn more, visit trust20.co. That's trust, the number 20.co. Trust 20 restaurants have access to a suite of resources that include expert-led training in four key areas, individual consultants, communication material and signage. For Nashville Restaurant Radio listeners, now through the end of July, you get free certification when you visit trust20.co and tell them you heard about them on Nashville Restaurant Radio. Trust 20, partnering with you to keep everyone safe. Welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio, a podcast for and about the people of the Nashville restaurant scene. Now here's your host, the CEO of New Light Hospitality Solutions, Brandon Still. Hello, Music City, and welcome to Nashville Restaurant Radio. My name is Brandon Still, and I am your host, and we have got Grant Adams on the show today back again for the second time. If you don't remember, Grant was on the show on May the 4th, and he uh, he gave us his story, told us his story. He is just an amazing young man, and he uh, he was just awarded an award by uh, Governor Bill Lee as a ambassador of goodwill for the state of Tennessee. He's been doing a lot of work for all of you out there, and I thought I'd bring him back, kind of catch up. I had a lot of people really interested in him and his show, it's a huge listening show, so he's back. We're talking about what he's doing, and we get into some some business stuff. Kind of wanted to talk about what uh, what his passions are right now. So look forward to you staying tuned for that. We got a lot of stuff going on over here at Nashville Restaurant Radio. We are just expanding like crazy. Uh, we have a YouTube channel now, so you can watch a lot. We've got like 15 videos up right now. You can watch a lot of the interviews we've done. Instagram, we put posts up every single day. We have Facebook. We now have a Twitter account. So if you're on Twitter, go follow us at, at Nash Restaurant Radio or Nash, Nashville Resta One is our official handle. Um, and yes, now we are on TikTok. It's, it's a ton of fun. If you are not on TikTok, you may think it's just for dancing. But no, this is where we're putting up our videos, uh, the less than 60 second reading bad reviews. So if you're a, a chef or a restaurant owner out there and you've got some just ridiculous uh, reviews out there from wherever, Yelp, TripAdvisor, anywhere that you get reviews, open table, whatever, uh, and you want to read them, kind of showcase how silly they really sound, uh, hit me up. Send me a DM. Let me know what you let me know and I'll get over there and we'll uh we'll record it. We'll put it out there. Uh you heard the intro. We have a new sponsor, Trust 20. And uh, I think it's really cool what they're doing. They're coming in. They're doing audits. We're nearing the end of the month. You have till the end of the month to get a free assessment. They will certify you for free till the end of the month. And here's my here's my ask of you. I want to I want some feedback. I would like for somebody out there to go check them out. If you have already, awesome. Trust the number twenty dot co. 
hit them up, get somebody out there to do an audit, and then call me. Let me know what you think. I want to know about the whole process because everything about it sounds really, really cool and very helpful. And I would love to know what kind of detail they go in with you and your restaurant. The first person to let me know that they've done this and the first person to give me feedback, I will buy a $100 gift card from your restaurant and give it to you to give to one of your guests, however you want to use it. Um, so $100 gift card I will purchase from your restaurant, give it away, make a contest, whatever you want to do with it. But um, I'd like to give back to you for trying out one of our sponsors. Another sponsor we have is Springer Mountain Farms Chicken. And I talk about them all the time. They're the best chicken in the world. They got the best facility. Uh, they feed their birds the best food. It's all raised right here in America. Um, they treat their chickens the best. And the best tasting chicken, um, you could feel good about eating. I mean, when you do all these things, you're proactive and you're you're leading the industry. And that's exactly what they've done. Uh, learn more at SpringerMountainFarms.com and join the flock. Get in there, put your email address in and get uh, weekly notifications. And um, that's all the announcements we got. Let's get on with the show. Let's get going. We have got a, a good one today. Grant Adams is going to be joining us right now. All right. So we are welcoming back to Nashville Restaurant Radio, Grant Adams, who is the jack of all trades at the Marsh House. And uh, this is your second appearance on the show. Welcome back, Grant. Well, thank you. And um, thank you for having me. And thank you for everyone out there listening. Um, how have you been, Brandon? Man, you know what? I've been really good. I've been great. I've been... Um, Getting in shape, I'm I'm getting better. I was not feeling well last week, but I, I'm you know what, man. All in all, like I feel good all through and through. Positive things, man. That's great. No coughing, right? Well, I had coughing. That's why I was supposed to be in California today, and I changed my flight from this week to next week because I did. I had a nagging cough, and um, I I just did not want to be on an airplane being that guy that was like hacking. <laughs> A cough every 15 minutes. So I went and got another COVID test on um, Saturday, and it came back yesterday. It was so fast, less than 24 hours later, uh, negative. And it was like the brain tickler one that they went way deep on. So she goes, oh, that was a good swab. I was like, it better have been. My gosh. <laughs> if it's coming back that quickly. Yeah, so I got it back real fast, and uh, I'm good to go. So I'm going to California next weekend, and uh, my cough is like going away. So this is good times. Yeah, you don't want to be that guy on a plane to divert it because you cough. <laughs> no, and I, and I would have been. It's terrible. Um, so speaking of health, I mean, I think that we got to check in with you. Last time we talked to you, there was, I mean, we you were, uh, it talked about last time being an epileptic, being mm -hmm. at work. You had a surgery almost a year ago, right? Yes. So it'll be like, a year, August 1st. August 1st. So let's do, I know I don't want to talk about that the whole time. I want to talk about how you're doing, but let, let's give us an update as to how you are. So right now the implant is catching more and more disturbances uh, per day, which is great. Uh, and we're trending one to two breakthroughs a month, which is fantastic. And knock on wood, uh, I'll be a month free actually August 1st. So Wow. 
Yeah. That's yeah. fantastic, man. I have to also commend you on um I mean just just having the attitude you have. You I asked you last time like just a, a bit of advice and you said get comfortable with being uncomfortable and then everything all the uncomfortable goes away. Yes. Right? So get so I mean you've just had to overcome so many things and I just I, I've had so many people tell me that they just loved the interview last time because of your spirit and who you are. And I just, um, I just want to say, say again, man, you're an inspiration to me, and I appreciate you uh, in every way. Well, thank you. And I guess now that we're actually doing Zoom, I can show everybody how to do the magnet. Yeah. I taught a six-year-old six the other day how to do this. I feel like it was the greatest accomplishment of my life. So basically, the generator is right here. You just take this magnet and then you swipe it directly across. And then you hear my voice, it's going deeper. So what's happening right now is it's sending regular electricity to the brain. This is happening right now? Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, I was like, you just swiped it. Does that like do something? Yeah. So it uh, stimulates the generator and then it just all this electricity to the brain. Does that like give you like a, you feel weird when you do that? (laughs) <laughs> it did in the very beginning. Um, basically, what it does now is that it just tickles the throat because it's from here up and then to the brain. So are you better now or do you still have some kind of sensation happening? I still have some sensation, but it's all right. It's like eating electricity. I, I can't, like, uh, Ladies and gentlemen, if you're watching the Zoom, you'll see that he just actually swiped the thing and you kind of got flush a little bit, like your face kind of a little bit of redness came to your face. I didn't catch that part, but oh, I'll maybe go back I missed and watch it. it. Yeah, go check it out. <laughs> uh, maybe not. I don't know. I'm just uh, maybe it's getting red now that I said that. So <laughs> putting me on the spot. I will also have to uh, let you know that you have a stellar Zoom background. Mine's just like my bonus room back here, and I got a. I have a built-in, but I haven't put any books in it because of COVID. You have this beautiful bookshelf behind you. Yes, it's from the 1700s, actually. Uh, it's been in the family. It's a pretty nice heirloom to have. And then uh, I have a lot of cookware in the bottom that I can store, so it's really cool. That's very cool, man. You look, it looks amazing. So, lots of books. Last time we, last time we caught up with you, you were... You threw something out there in the interview. I said, what are you doing during the pandemic? Like, what are you doing right now? And you said, I'm just writing letters to congressmen. I'm just I'm just writing emails. I'm writing letters. And I was like, really? And he said, yeah, the PPP has got to be fixed. We need something. We need something for our hospitality community. And I'm getting a hold of our local leadership to make a change. And I was like, oh, that's cool, man. How do you do that? You know, and, and I was just... I don't know. I listened back to it and I was like, man, I should have had like a call to action there. That was a good opportunity. So then I'm watching the socials this weekend and I see that you were awarded, was it a goodwill? You're a goodwill ambassador for the state of Tennessee from the governor, Bill Lee? Yes. So talk about that, man. Congratulations. Well, thank you. So, uh, you know, at that time, it was so unknown of what was happening. You know, March 17th came, everybody had to close the doors pretty much. Um, Some restaurants were able to stay open, um, but somebody had to do something. So 
as a Tennessean, we're naturally volunteers at heart. So I just volunteered my time to start talking to the senators, the governor, the congressmen, getting a hold of people in Washington, D.C. Um, and I was doing a lot of work behind the scenes. That's actually a lot of communication, too, um, and a lot of work. You know, nobody responds the same. So it's basically getting that information to them in a way that they'll also understand it and be able to follow it of what we needed at the time. Um, so can I result, stop? I'm gonna st I want to stop you right there because I've always defined effective communication as shared understanding from the sender and the receiver in the method in which they both can fully understand. So what you just said was really important, I think, just because so many people have issues with communication. What you just said was, I tried communicating these people in so many different ways, but some people communicate in different ways and you had to adjust to ensure that those people heard you in the manner in which they understood, mm -hmm. right? Yes. Can you, like, where does that come, where does, how did you figure that out? Because so many people just say, oh, I sent them an email and it's like, well, they don't respond to email. They respond to handwritten letters or I called or like you had to do so many different ways. Like, mm -hmm. that's just amazing. Yeah, so basically where that came from is when I was a teenager, I went through a lot of leadership camps um, and did a lot of retreats and stuff. And I was able to form, I don't want to say this just rocks our leadership thing when I was a teenager, but what I had to understand at that time was being able to actively listen, empathize, sympathize, um, and then realize their perspective and realize what they're experiencing right now is not the same of what I'm experiencing. Wow, what a what an evolved thought process that is. Just to be able to put yourself in somebody's shoes and then articulate that to them. Yeah, you never know what somebody's going through till you walk a mile in their shoes. So Okay, so I'm sorry, I cut you off. I just you know, I think that's a really cool lesson to bust out right in the middle of that that it's not just about writing a letter to a senator, it's finding the right way to communicate to different people that's effective in all things that we do with your wife your best friend your coworkers, to senators anyway that's a really great way to communicate so go ahead with your story i'm sorry oh so anyways um you know i did all those things ppp came through and then there was a little glitch in it and it needed to be revised so this time i'm circling back to each every each individual and saying hey, PPP is great, some people have gotten it, but this is how we might be able to do it a little bit better so that way other people can get it too. So fortunately, we're also able to get revised and make that the number one priority for when um, the Senate opened back up. So what did you say in these letters to make that a priority? Or how did what, was, what were the things you were telling them? So basically, you, know, you don't wanna attack anybody. You don't wanna make it personal. Um, I kind of kept it structured as PPP looks like a golden egg on the surface. However, it's not working because of this and because of this time frame. We need it to go a little bit longer so that way businesses can actually open their doors and it not become a loan. So I just find it fascinating because what about you? You just do stuff, man. <laughs> like when, but like so many people would be like, I just don't think I'm going to make a difference. And 
you you just don't care like you're just gonna go after things can individuals like we're about to come up on a voting we're in election year right and i don't want to get into politics here but i do want to say so many people feel that their vote doesn't matter because they're just one person and we live in a blue state or, or a red state you know they're just saying i whatever state you live in but you yourself make a difference each individual person does make a difference Absolutely. Where does that come from? Just that mentality oh, for you. Gosh. Uh, well, I've always been kind of outspoken a little bit, um, but I know when to when to let other people talk and when to actually say something and stand up for something. And this was the time that I needed to stand up and say something. Otherwise, things are absolutely going to fail. Um, so I did it and I kept doing it and it just continued to happen. So I feel like everybody has a voice. It's just how you use it and how you approach people. I love it, man. So thank you for doing all that you did. I know there's a ton of people around the city that got PPP loans that recognize that it wasn't what, I mean, it's, it's a great start and that we did need to extend it. There's a lot of things we needed to do. And you're one of the people behind the scenes making it happen and the governor, <laughs> um awarded you man that's such a cool thing where where is that right now where's the award do you have it on the uh, wall yet i still have it in its package one second let me get it so it's right here it's pretty big envelope honestly it is pretty big wow so guys right now on the video if you're watching the video you can yeah. see this but he's putting it up state of tennessee state capital grant shanahan adams uh adams Tennessee Ambassador of Goodwill, Bill Lee. Wow, look at that. Yeah, there it is, and here's the seal. Wow, man, that's so cool. So what's next for you, man? So I think last time we talked about you going to business school, yes. um, getting your MBA, you, yes, right? correct. How's that going? It's going good. You know, um, I got into LSU, which was great. It was the best offer that I got. Um, I'm going to be doing it online with COVID. Uh, and then, you know, it hit me because August 31st is coming up really soon. And I was like, oh, gosh, I don't know if I'm ready for this. It was kind of like a little bit of imposter syndrome. And then um, I did the online orientation, which is cool because it was like all the meat of the program. It wasn't, you know, here's our athletic department. Here's the cafeteria, the standard you go to orientation. So I went through, oh, here's my dog. Um, say hi, Remington. Oh, nice. I get to meet the dog? Yes. This is actually a service dog, too. His name is Remington. Yeah, yeah, I know. You you walk Remington every single day. What, 12 miles, is it? Uh, yes, yes. We do 10 in the morning and then 2 in the afternoon. Hi, Remington. <laughs> He's like, I hear my voice. He's like, where are you? So um, <laughs> I'm right here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so I did um, all the orientation stuff and they do like these tests at the end and I was like oh okay this is cool so I did all the tests and I didn't get like one wrong and I was like okay now I'm ready I feel like I'm ready so so uh, what do you want to do what's your goals uh, my goal is to be COO with operations so being my niche so you're you don't want to be CEO, you'll be COO. You want to be the guy that uh, 
is out there making it happen the op- in the operations, right? Yep. Yep. If there's people out there right now who want to do something similar, who want to be an executive with a company or they want to lead people, right? They want to lead people. They want to put systems and process together, make something happen. What are the things that you focus on right now? What are the things that a COO needs to be focusing on? Uh, and let's try and have a conversation about that as it pertains to restaurants. Okay, cool. Um, so I feel like there's three main components that a COO should have, um, which is leadership, um, experience, and financials. Uh, and with those combined, you'll be able to execute a process a little bit better, if not great. So which so, which of those three do you feel like is the most important? Ooh, that's a hard prior that's a hard list to prioritize. Uh, but I feel like it starts off with leadership and then kind of doing the finances and then experience. Okay, so, so experience know, you feel like is the least valuable of those three traits. When you put it that way, yes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> there's no there's there's no right or wrong answer here. It's okay. <laughs> um so you know, with leadership, everyone has their own style. Um, for me, you need to build that trust with everybody in the organization, getting to know them, getting to know, you know, what they do outside of work, not like too much in their personal life, but just to know who they are and um, all those different things, what they do at work. And then um, you need to have the humility to ask the questions that you don't know. Um, and then the higher up you go, the more emotionally invested you get. And you also have to realize that you need to check your ego at the door. Um, so anything that goes wrong, you need to take ownership of it. And then anything that goes right, you need to spread that across the entire company and let them feel as if that's their um, ownership. Okay. So let's break some of that down right now. And I'll ask you the first question right now. Can anybody be a leader? Yes, to a degree. That's like saying yes, but no. Yes. Um, So how I feel about leadership, I feel like it's like working out. Everybody has their capabilities and their strengths. Um, You know, you can work your body out so much the point that you reach your full capability. For some people, they are so skilled and technically oriented that it's hard for them to have that emotional connection to where it kind of limits their ability to move up. See, I'm not saying I disagree. I'm just saying that I feel like identifying whether or not you are a leader, a true leader, right? Versus somebody who, which is not to say the antithesis is, but versus somebody who wants to be on a team, right? So I perform better if I'm leading a team. Mm-hmm. And some people, like like my wife, for instance, wants to be led. She wants to be on the team. She doesn't want to be the front person of the team. And that's totally okay. Like there's yeah. nothing wrong with that i think she had some leadership ability which she needs to take over as a, as a mother and different things she does a great job but some people i think can get into a leadership role um when that's not their best suit when that's not something they should 
be doing. And I think that's a, I think identifying leadership characteristics within yourself and as something that you want to be doing, if that's your passion, um, and that's a huge part about being somebody in leadership. For being a yeah. COO, you've got to be, like you said, humility, um, check your ego at the door, but you've got to want to be wrong sometimes. You've got to want to, the leaders to me can get out there and make decisions and be okay with being wrong, right? Yeah. It's not, I'm right, I'm going to die being right. It's, hey, somebody had to take that chance. You You mentioned personal accountability. You said take responsibility for your actions. Leaders can identify new strategies. They can step outside the box, look and find new, they have vision, finding new strategies, and then they can come back. And if they're wrong, say, yeah, I was wrong about that when we need to go in a different direction. But like, that's yeah. the ability of somebody who's leading is okay to be wrong. And some people are not okay with being wrong. Absolutely not. And I feel like we've all ran into those kind of people, but you know, again, it's kind of okay. Um, because you're able to still learn from them and say, hey, within myself, I'm thinking to myself, if this person is unable to admit that, then maybe when I get into that role, I can admit it myself. Sure. Well, right now, in COVID-19 times, while we are in um, this weird resurgence, uh, which is coming back pretty strong since we've reopened. What do you think is the most, like leadership right now, I feel like is so important. What yes. do you think the most important aspects of leadership are right now? I feel like the most important aspect is giving people hope and giving people at least something to hold on to, to say, hey, we're gonna make it through this and we're gonna be okay. Okay. And then also, I feel like to take it a little bit farther is to say, um, to, is to lead by example. If you're asking somebody to do it, then the leader should also be doing it. So, I, that's in all, all times, whether or not COVID or any time, like any time a leader needs to lead by example, always. Do as I say, not as I do is not a leadership trait. Correct. So I know you've had experience with leadership. What are your thoughts and opinions? Well, you know, right now, I feel like we really just need leaders. We need people who are leaders to stand up, not just in a, hey, I'm wearing a mask or, you know, not just in like our government. I'm talking about every single day and every single company, every, every restaurants right now, you know, I mean, there's so many opportunities on a daily basis for leadership. We, from the day, if you're a leader in a building, if you're a manager in a building, every single thing you do right now is under a microscope from everybody underneath you. I think it is so vital that we lead in a positive way, that we're taking people, that people see us and they see somebody who's coming in, doing the right thing, who's remaining positive and identifying solutions for the future but also, I was listening to a podcast the other day, and he said, leadership right now is so much more about, since we're so separated, is really hearing your voice, right? So not just your voice is what you say, but actually hearing your voice, like leading your people, not through emails, not through text, but calling them and saying, hey, this is what I'm thinking. Because 
when we're just apart like this, leaders, people need to hear your inflection. They don't need to try and guess through um, your tone uh, on an email or a text. They need to hear you. They need to see you. They need to talk to you. Uh, and people need to be led right now. There are people yeah. out there that don't, like those people I was talking about, that just don't necessarily want to lead, that don't know how to lead. People that need to be led, and there's some there's some false prophets out there. There's people that are leading people in the wrong direction. We need good, solid leadership from people who are thinking of ideas, smart people who want to lead people in the right direction. Sorry, that's a long answer for your for your question. <laughs> no, that's completely all right. And you definitely hit on some good points. You know, I feel like when we hear people's voice, we get we're able to more or to able to identify more with it. We're able to build that emotional connection of saying, "Hey, this is where we're right now." this is where we need to go. Yeah, 100%. Like more people can get behind that when they actually hear it versus, uh, what did they just say in an email? I'm trying to guess. Uh, and, and the email was sent to 24 people. Was he talking to me? You know, there was a very vague direction he put in there, but that was for Tina. That's not for me. That, that's for them. It's like, no, it, it was for you. And it, it's hard to tell when something's typed out, you know? Yeah. And then you're you're also wondering, gosh, when did they turn into a Karen or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I tell you, that term sure has come up pretty strong over the past uh, month, hasn't it? Oh, yeah. I mean, just the people, the anti-maskers and all the different situations of people going into restaurants complaining about situations because of all of the new restrictions. The, the term Karen, is there a guy version of Karen? Is it Alex? You know, I feel like it could be Mark. Mark. I don't know. I, I if you know what it is, type it. Send us a comment in the uh, in the post here, whatever social you you see this on. Let us know what the male version of Karen is because I can't look it up right now. Um. So the next aspect you said was um experience. You said the last one was experience, but I'm going to go to experience next. So Why is it for? Oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. What are you going to say? Um, for experience, it's so easy for people to become, especially in a leadership role, to become the expert and the authority figure of exactly what to do, how to do it, and everything like that. But skills also change every five years, so to say. Um, so maybe how you did it in the past isn't how it's being done today. So with experience, it's great. And it's kind of what got you there because you're able to like, you know, operate all these different things. You can do it efficiently. But at this point, this is where you need to start doing a little bit more peer development maybe and letting employees connect with other employees that are actually doing, um, let's say a butcher, um, is trying to learn soups and sauces and stocks, whatever. And whoever is doing the stew, pair those two together and let them work together. So that way the butcher can learn how the meat is being cooked. And then the um, saucier can learn how the meat was actually cut and why it needs to be stewed. Um, because, you know, when you do like stew meat or whatever, it's pretty tough meat from where it comes from in the body. 
Okay, so you're talking about actual like cross training in the position. And I think when we talked about COO positions, I didn't clarify. You're talking about a COO position at a restaurant. Am I mm -hmm. right? Or like a group of restaurants or maybe a group hotel chain, something along mm -hmm. those lines? Yes. So experience to you, what you're talking about right now is actual experience in the job as a worker, the people who are executing the roles of operations, right? Yep. Okay. I'm going to throw a curveball at you. Do you think with enough leadership, you can, that that can outweigh your experience in the actual position, your experience at leadership, leading people in an, in a general industry, you could lead people without knowing the ins and outs of the basic jobs in the industry? I'm going to say no, because you still need to have an understanding of what's happening. And you okay. still, just because you're in a leadership role doesn't mean that you're retiring. It doesn't mean that you don't need to stay fluid and current with what's happening and how the skills are changing. But at the same time, you still need to be able to form a, uh, positive work environment just by doing some cross training by doing these different things because when people rely just on you to um, be able to show them how to execute you can actually shut down a department so we've we've all seen that happen so let's say you're doing a project at the end it says see this person well this person might not be available because they're in a meeting so you're standing there waiting for 30 minutes, then that person comes out of the meeting and then they're a little frustrated because your production is down. Yeah. So. I, I mean, I, I completely agree with you as far as, you know, cross training. That's kind of that aspect of leadership you're referencing earlier of the empathy. Like when you're able to do somebody's job or when you're able, I've always been a fan of everybody learning how to do other people's jobs because what it does is it eliminates silos. You know, eliminates the front of the house versus back of the house, right? So, I mean, if you're a COO, you're running the entire thing. It's not a, oh, well, I get the kitchen guys, but I don't get the front of the house. You've got to figure out both of those and the culture between the yeah. two of those. And you've got to understand those and really bridge that gap in, uh, to be effective. Yeah, exactly. And I feel like the more you can bridge that gap, I mean, I'm just using cross-training as a reference. Um, the more you can bridge that gap, the more people are going to come together. A hundred percent. I, uh, I completely agree. So experience is, is, is very important when you're going yeah. into for, for yourself, going into a COO hunting type job. Uh, <laughs> last one you mentioned was financials. Financials right. are very, very important. Let's talk about that for a minute. So obviously, you know, you don't want to start behind the eight. Oh, let me back this up. So in our past um, interview that we did, I talked about watching the stock market and learning from it. The reason why I said that is because you don't want to start behind the eight ball because you'll never get ahead. I mean, that's a pretty big quote. And then um, you always, always, always want to stay ahead of the number. So the more people that are watching the numbers, the better the company will be um, and the better decision-making you'll be able to have as well as the other managers. So let's say, you know, you send something off to accounting, accounting doesn't necessarily see what's happening, 
So it might not always come back as like a hundred percent accurate. So when you receive that financial statement back and you can have other managers in on the conversation and say, Hey, let's look at this all together. Then we can um, move forward with more accuracy. So you're saying sharing the numbers with more people, the more people that understand the financials, the more empowered they would be to make decisions like an owner and the more people that make decisions like an owner that easier it's going to be the better it will be yes in a nutshell yes okay I mean, so obviously i mean obviously there's financial statements that don't need to be out there in the public you know you let them see it and then they shred it um so but the general idea is is the more people that can see it the better the accuracy Yes, I agree. I think that the more you inform your staff and your direct reports, uh, the more they can make decisions based upon an owner. Anytime you can drive a culture where people think the way you do, if you're if as the person who's writing the check, you know, as the person who's the COO or the CEO or the owner, president, whatever you want to call them, um, I think that's vital. But so being a COO means you're on top of the numbers, you're working directly with the CEO in accounting. What is the most, if you're looking at a P&L, what do you think is the most important part? And how do you manage it? Ooh, with P&Ls, obviously you want more profit than you want loss. Um, well, sure. <laughs> I mean, that's just the start of it. So you need to look at every single breakdown and then you need to look at why is this number the way it is and how can I make it better? How can I make it a little bit more profitable? But then you also need to think about, you don't want to get too number driven because there's the people and then the environment. So it's kind of like a three bottom line. Cause if you make it all about the numbers, then people are going to be like, uh, and then the environment is also going to be like, uh, well, yeah, I mean, I think that um, balance is key in everything that we do, right? Right. I mean, you, it can't be all leadership, all experience, or all financial. Um, those things have to to kind of marry together. And you've got to be able to balance your experience with your level of leadership with how much you focus on numbers. And that's that's why we don't just, it's, that's why it's not called numbers. It's called the operating and to operate, you've got to have leadership. You have to have experience and as well as the numbers. But I really find in a restaurant, you know, so many people um, can't. We, we, the first thing we look at is controllables, right? So, I mean, you want to look at your labor, food cost, liquor cost. Those are the things that drive a restaurant the most. And the, uh, you know, liquor I, do, I do a meeting every week with with a couple of general managers. We go over a PL, we go over every single line item on a PL. And if you don't do this right now, I highly recommend doing this. I mean, looking over your food costs, not just looking at, oh, we're at 32%, but breaking it down and going, okay, what is our red meat cost versus poultry versus seafood versus groceries versus dairy? And if you look at that every single week and you're running a PL every week in yes. your food costs, You'll start seeing things. You go, whoa, why is 
dairy at 7% this week. Like that's crazy. And all of a sudden you can drill in and really identify where things are. Food, liquor, beer, wine, you break it down by liquor, beer, and wine as well. Uh, another great way weekly to look at that stuff. And then there's so many ways once you figure out where you need to be identifying theoreticals and then going in and figuring out the best ways to lower those. Uh, there's so many different contracts you can negotiate yeah. down a PL that, I mean, that's some of the stuff I think that you're really, you really want to grasp really well going into what you want to do because when you can start seeing stuff like that, that's also where experience comes into play. Because if you're not aware of how liquor, beer, wine works, and if you're not aware of how, you know, different cuts of steak and when you throw something away, how waste works, how portioning works, how being consistent when you're behind the line, just how the line is set up, how all of that stuff plays a role into exactly how you create that final number and what each little thing affects it, whether it's Tina cut the, the tuna this week or if you know Johnny cut the tuna this week, one ounce off on 25 tuna fillets throws you off five fillets. And it's like, yeah. whoa, wait a minute. Why are we off this week? Well, every time Tina works, food, you know, seafood cost goes up 2%. And every time Johnny works, it goes down 4%. And consistency comes into play. But really having the experience to recognize all those things is, is a big deal. So, I mean, yeah. sorry to go off on another of, tangent. <laughs> well, that's part of also where you get to know people and get to know where their niches are. And then, you know, the people comes into the P&L and, you know, you're breaking it down. Um, and in some situations, you know, you have a little bit higher um, loss because somebody's doing it. But what you also have to recognize is that some people never put up great stats, but they're a huge morale booster. Give me an example. What are you talking about people-wise where some people don't put up great stats, but they're a morale booster? So let's say Tina, every time Tina works, the environment is so fluid and it's radiated um, that people are just happy to be there and they want to be there. They want to learn. They want to do these things, but she's getting two ounces off and it's throwing off five ounces. So is it worth, well, obviously you want to train Tina more, but is it worth <laughs> um, firing her over? I would disagree. No, and conversely, if you have somebody who sells really, really well, who's like a great salesperson that every time you do a contest, they win, they're just the greatest salesperson in the world. But if they have the worst attitude and they walk in the kitchen, they're just a oh. cancer. I mean, I, I hate using the word cancer, but like if they walk in the kitchen, they're just spreading anger and they're, can you believe this table and this manager, did, 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 you know, just those people that want to cause drama. Um, is that worth, I mean, hey, they're selling great and the guests like them, but they bring everybody else down. Yeah, you know, I feel like that is so case by case and maybe your ego can come in a little bit on this one. But, you know, they're always, those kind of people are like, hey, I could work at this restaurant, this restaurant, this restaurant. And they're like, it's like, okay, so if you can work at the 200 other restaurants that you say that you can work at, and why are you working for me? This is all just hypothetical stuff. You know, we're talking about you wanting to go into being a COO and we're, we're, we're kind of doing just an interesting, I like this conversation. Thanks for doing it, by the way. I just appreciate you talking about 
all of this and kind of rabbit hunting some of this stuff with me because I think these are things that people are dealing with on a daily basis. What do you do with those people? How, that, that's kind of an HR thing. Um, it is. And another part of being, you know, a leader is accountability. So I said this the other day in a podcast that I read this thing. It was on, on my phone. It was a, a, a quote that I saw on LinkedIn that said, nothing will lose a great employee faster than tolerating a bad one. Yes. Right? So if you've got somebody who's running food, they're full hands in, full hands out. They are doing their best at their tables. They're growing. They're getting better. They come into work on time. Their uniform looks great. They always have a bank. I'm talking in front of the house right now. Or somebody that comes into the kitchen. Uniform looks good. They're always on time. They have a great attitude. They make everybody around them feel good. But they, they're not the great at cutting the tuna or they're, they're a little slower. Like you can coach those people. Yeah. You can coach people into getting better. I always I feel like there's a not just a cancel culture, but the the we'll fire our way to a great staff. And if we can just well, we got to get rid of these five people because they're no good. Like well, are are they or are they just are we not leading them the right way? Some people like to be led, and if you yeah. can lead people, sometimes they can change. I a hundred percent agree, and you know. This is very extreme ownership. You know, anytime you write somebody up, anytime that something goes wrong, anytime you have to fire somebody, it's a reflection on you. Because somewhere along the line, you allowed this behavior to happen. You allowed this to happen. You allowed this to continue to keep going to the point that it escalated. You know, sometimes people's attitudes just don't change. Um, but we also allow that person to come into the organization. Really effective leadership, especially when it comes to management, looks like personal accountability, leading by example, um, and holding people accountable for what's clearly communicated to each and every one of them. And people, I think the conception is the misconception is that, oh, they're not going to like me or I don't want to be the bad guy, but it's like, no. People want to be led. People want to be held accountable. Everybody wants structure. I think the biggest misnomer is that, oh, I don't want to come across that way. It's like, no, if every single person on a leadership team does it that way, everybody's cool with it. Like nobody minds because they're like, that's just the way it's done here. And then they all start holding each other accountable. It's amazing. Yeah, exactly. So the more you can spend on the upfront doing that, the less likely and the less amount of labor time goes into always having to make these corrections with people and always having to stay over um, closing time to talk with these people about being on their cell phone on the floor. And I know that's just one tiny facet of what we're doing uh, yeah. in the restaurants. For I me, mean, it's a microcosm for everything that could potentially happen inside of the building, right? Right. And, you know, I do want to obviously... Um, go back a little bit, you know, there's people that need accommodations. Um, and I feel like that should also be very clear on the upfront with the staff. So like, go ahead, go ahead and elaborate on that for me. So like for me, I mean, I need to wear a helmet obviously when I'm working in a kitchen. Sure. Uh, so when you have this employee that's wearing a helmet, I'm just putting myself out of my shoes. You have this employee that wears a helmet 
and people are sitting here saying, oh, why does he get to wear a helmet? I mean, obviously the employee should, that's wearing a helmet. Um, I don't want to say should or could or whatever, um, might be willing to actually answer the question, but also they should also approach the boss before they start making accusations, before they start making a rumor and all this stuff that builds up within the company. I don't know if I'm following what, how do you, what do you, what do you mean? Okay. So obviously it's not normal for an employee to wear a helmet. Yeah. But I mean, it's so, nothing, but that's nothing. Obviously if somebody's wearing a helmet, it's not like a bad thing. No, no. I'm just using this as an example. Sure. So, you know, you have employees that will see this person wearing a helmet and then rather than ask or rather than going to a direct manager or the higher up manager and saying, Hey, why does this guy wear a helmet? Then rumors or, um, gossip can start to spread throughout the company about like this guy is wearing a helmet. Um, so I feel like when people need accommodations, the culture should also be aligned with that. So it should be a culture where we communicate more effectively when people need accommodations or it should be okay for people to, you feel like the culture should be okay for people to walk up to you and say, Hey man, why are you wearing a helmet? Like what's the, but I, I, I'm getting what you're saying. And it sounds, it sounds frustrating if I'm somebody who's wearing a helmet and I'm at work just doing my job. And then everybody around me, you see people whisper and these people talking and you're like, Hey, I'm a person. Like, I don't, I mean, is that, what, like, what would you like to change there? I feel like obviously B is my thing. I mean, if somebody is going to say, Oh, he's wearing a helmet, obviously I'm going to tell him why. I mean, I'm not, I'm not afraid to open up about why I need this accommodation. Um, but I do feel, um, that, Accommodations are a little bit tricky. Um, I do feel that accommodations need to be communicated a little bit more. Um, but with that, um, so let's go back to the cell phone thing. So say somebody's family member is in distress uh -huh. and they come in and say, hey, chef, my um, aunt or grandmother is in distress. I might get a phone call. Can I take it in the back? It might be longer than 60 seconds. Of course. Then the manager is more willing and the culture is more willing to accept it. Versus but do we make, do we make an announcement during lineup that, Hey, Sally, um, her grandmother's sick. So if she see her on the phone, we've given her permission tonight to be on her phone. Please don't think that, you know, that doesn't give everybody the right to be on their phone tonight. Sally has a special request. Do you think we need to communicate that to everybody? No, I feel like it should be a case by case. Obviously, if Sally is a great worker, you know, this is like a one time thing and she's back on the phone for more than 60 seconds, then somebody says it and they're holding something, they're trying to hold Sally accountable, then uh, the manager can then say, hey, it's an extenuating circumstance. We just need to work with her a little bit more. Do you feel like you know, the kind of the circumstance you just described with yourself. I mean, do you feel like that happens a lot? 
Uh, not with me. I feel like it did in the very beginning. And then I was able to learn how to effectively advocate for myself. How did you do that? Um, well, it took five years. Uh, it took five years for me to realize that when somebody is judging me based on an accommodation or for what I can't control, then maybe that's not the right environment. So when I first started working, I then started realizing, hey, I need to be open about the accommodation that I need with the manager or the chef. And when I started doing that, the very first day before I started working, we would all meet around a table with the entire team and I would advocate for myself and say, I have seizures. It doesn't define me. It's not going to define us. And then this is how you handle it. And this is why I wear a helmet. This is why I need to work on a mat. But you, that, so you've learned how to effectively communicate to people. Yes. Okay. And people, I mean, I imagine everybody is okay with that, right? Yes. Yeah. I mean, there's so many, it almost brings up another topic. I mean, just this discrimination in the way that people get treated and, and how this kind of stuff happens. I mean, but you're not doing anything different. You're just there to do a job. You're there to create amazing food and follow your passions and you happen to have epilepsy and you know one of the precautions you wear is a helmet like but that doesn't shouldn't affect anything but it does do you do you find yourself wanting to be an advocate for everybody i mean for all the people that do you see a lot of people who unfairly get labeled or unfairly have um people that gossip or talk about them or treat them differently because of something that's their who they are whether it's sexual orientation race um, or just if they're a boy or a girl. I've seen it. Yeah. Um, and for me, uh, obviously I'm a go getter. I'm going to stand up. I'm going to say, I'm not going to like necessarily like point my finger at them or, you know, whatever it's, I'm going to effectively communicate to the best of my ability. But at some point that person also has to take ownership for what they're going through. hundred percent. So expand on that. How does that person take ownership for what they're going through? So, you know, there's only so much that somebody else can say or do for you. Um, but when it comes time, you need to be able to stand up for yourself and know how to effectively communicate with the person that um, is putting you through hell. Okay. So if there's somebody abusing you or doing something like that, you're saying it's healthy to be able to stand up for yourself. Um, a lot of people don't have that ability. A lot of people fear retribution if they were to say something. You know, a lot of people, those, not, not talking about just like whistleblowers. I'm talking about people that potentially would fear what would happen. Um, how important is it for other people to stand up for some of those people. I mean, that's the thing. That's one of the things I've learned so much is that while I haven't, you know, well, I don't look at anybody and think anything differently of them 
through all of this, I've kind of learned that me not saying something when I hear something or just kind of being like, oh, they're just saying that I'm not going to partake in what they're saying, but I'm not like actively saying something on behalf of that person. So if I'm in a kitchen and somebody says, hey, why is that guy wearing a helmet? Instead of just going or hearing them say, whispering about it versus you going, oh, they're just talking about, you know, they're just talking about it. I go, hey, let me tell you guys what's up. Like, do you think it's important to advocate for people to stand up for other people? Because that's, that's how we're going to really drive change. I do. I absolutely do. I feel like if you stay silent, the more detrimental it is. Rather, if you stand up and actually say something, I feel like this is my kind of my motto. You can judge somebody just by how they treat somebody when they're down. So if you can stand up for that person and go to the extent of saying, hey, that's not right, you shouldn't be doing that to him or her, and this is why, then you're doing something. You're not just sitting back and saying, oh, well, that's how it's done here. Yeah. All right. Well, it's sorry, sorry to get off on that track. I just, you know, I, I, I heard a little bit when you were talking there, and I know you were kind of somewhat giving a hypothetical, just an example, and you kind of used yourself, but I could also sense in there that that's something that you've dealt with. You know, yes. that that's something that's not, it wasn't a hypothetical. That was a real life situation. And didn't want to dig too deep into it, but I mean, I think there's a lesson there. And I'm hoping, obviously, to bring perspective to people for people who hear this that might be going through something similar in their life and for somebody like yourself who's overcome so much i like to share what goes through your mind so sorry i don't want to get too deep there and get into something i i like to share how people overcome individual um hurdles so thank you very much for doing that you're welcome i do i do just want to state for the record that it did not none of it happened in a restaurant it just okay. happened in a similar environment that did not like anything other than cookie cutter people. Gotcha. Okay. For sure. All right. So let's move on. Do you mind if we, we move on to kind of, we're, we're at the end of our time. Yeah. And um, there's a couple more things I want to ask you that are kind of petty <laughs> as far as just what you've been doing and how, how things are. Um, We've talked about leadership. We've talked about you wanting to be a COO. We've talked about all the different aspects of things you could be doing, and we've gone in depth. What are you actively reading right now in order to um, to get there? Crucial Conversations. Crucial Conversations. Fantastic book. How yes. far are you done with it? Or are you where are you at there? I'm midsection. Midsection. What is the what's your big takeaway so far from that? Before you speak, you need to ask yourself within, how am I going to respond? So Crucial Conversations is a really good book for what we just talked about. Yeah. And I think this is the first time that I've ever publicly come out and touched that conversation. Really? Yeah. Wow. Well... I'm, I've been a fan of, I've read Crucial Conversations like, I think it was like 10 years ago. And um, you know what helped me? Because I would get so afraid when I'd have to have these tough confrontational kind of conversations. And through that book, I kind of 
learn that it's okay and how to prepare and what to do and when to have them. And I've, I've had to have a bunch of them, but it's, it's certainly helped me get through that. So if you're somebody out there who doesn't like to have tough conversations, this is a great book called Crucial Conversations. Who's the author again? Oh gosh, now you put me on the spot. I have it over there. I know it's by McGraw Hill. All right, what else you got? What other, what else you reading? Um, what else am I reading? Scaling Up. So I've been reading that book along with several other books along the way. Okay, Scaling Up. And there, you did Crucial Conversations written by four people. That's why you didn't know. Uh, Carrie Patterson, Joseph Grinney, Ron McMillan, and Al Switzler. Yeah, who can remember so, that? <laughs> yeah, who's remembering that? That's why I did. I was like, how come? The Ford was written by Stephen R. Covey, which... We all know seven habits of highly effective people. Yes. All right. Any good uh, TV you're watching these days? Oh, you know, I've been watching this just absolute stupid, funny show. It's called What We Do in the Shadows. What is that about? If you think of it as being an, another version of The Office, except with vampires, it will be absolutely funny. The Office with Vampires. Okay, yes. in the shadows. Is that on Netflix? FX on Hulu. FX on Hulu. All right. Do you like the show The Prophet? I have not watched it. Okay. But I know we're... You need to watch, like, if you want to be a COO, Marcus Lemonis, the show is fantastic. He takes his own money and he invests in companies and then takes them over and videotapes like, like records these episodes where he goes in and changes companies. It's called The Profit. I believe it's on CNBC. I have a permanent recording set up on my. Um, I I have two recording, three recordings set up always on my. We record anything new from The Bachelor because, come on, <laughs> uh, everybody out there, so you either just rolled your eyes or you went, "Amen, brother." Uh, and we rec I record everything, every episode of The Profit. Um, and every hockey game, every time there's a new hockey game comes on, and, and Colbert. So I have four set up. So <laughs> uh, that's what look, I got. I'll, I'll definitely have to look into the profit. Yeah, I'm you excited. Should. As they finish the show, I like to ask everybody to um, to give to, to the floor is yours. What do you want to say to the city of Nashville? Take your time, say whatever you want to say, and uh, we'll wrap it up after that. You know. It's not the destination. It's who you become in the end. And then I would also like to thank everybody that's listened and thank everybody that's serving our country and protecting our freedom. I love it. A hundred percent. Amen. That's Amen. what you got? That's what you got today? That's what I got today. All right. Well, Grant... Adams, thank you so much for coming back. You're the first. Uh, Janet Kurtz was on the show twice, but you're the first um, like guest where I've done a full interview about you that has come on twice. And I finish every show and I say, I could talk to you for hours. I got to have you come back on. We got to do this again. You're the first one to come on twice, man. So you're, you got that, uh, that distinction. Yeah, well, thank you. Maybe the third time's a charm. Maybe if this becomes like a global thing, that'll be a trivia answer at somewhere on some trivia night. Who was the first person to be on the show twice? 
<laughs> you have to listen to all the podcasts. <laughs> That's right, man. Well, thank you so much and best of luck to you. And thank you uh, again for, for coming on today. Thank you so much.